Simple Beep, Episode 8, Escape Velocity. Hello, and welcome back to Simple Beep, a podcast looking back at the history of Apple and the Mac community. I'm Ed Cormany. And I'm Brian Satorius. And today we're going to talk about one of our most beloved classic Mac games, Escape Velocity by Ambrosia Software. Ambrosia delivered a whole bunch of games in the mid to late 90s, and uh, I think almost all of them were universally celebrated, eagerly downloaded on uh, dial-up connections, left going overnight. But I think without question, Escape Velocity and its two sequels were the most popular, the most adored, and today the most wished for uh, a re-release. Yeah, they were definitely the flagship games of Ambrosia's catalog, although they definitely branched out later on in late 90s and early 2000s and came up with some other really interesting original titles. But Escape Velocity was really, in some ways, their first original shareware game for the Mac, even though it wasn't the first game that they released, and definitely got some of the most traction. So Ambrosia as a company was officially incorporated in August of 1993, Uh, but they had actually released a game or two before that date. The first game that they released was called Maelstrom, which was a Mac port of Asteroids, the classic arcade game. And not just a port, but sort of a reimagining with a little bit of... The basic gameplay is the same. You're on an asteroid field. You have a ship. You control it. You shoot the asteroids. If you go off one side, you reappear on the other. But it was really updated with graphics that were appropriate for its time. So you said it was released in November of 1992, which was about 12 or 13 years after asteroids hit the arcades. And you've probably seen pictures of asteroids where it's just, you know, little line art for the ship, which is basically a triangle. Whereas Ambrosia's reimagining of it was with nice rendered sprite graphics and was sort of a new take on it. People were very happy to play Maelstrom on their Macs in the early 90s. It even had a good uh, sense of humor. I remember some of the sound effects were uh, audio clips from Ren and Stimpy. Like if you missed a power-up, you'd hear Ren's voice go, you idiot! Yes, Ambrosia games are full of pop culture references, and Escape Velocity, as we'll see, is absolutely no exception. Their second game was called Chiral, which was a puzzle game. And I think this is their first original concept for a game. You had to you had to match together atoms into molecules uh, against the clock and with certain restrictions to clear each level. Yeah, kind of like a bejeweled blitz type game, but with its own spin on it. And then their next three titles were also were also clones. So Apiron was a centipede clone, and Swoop was a version of Galaxian. Again, redone with nice, beautiful 3D rendered sprites. And their final game before the release of Escape Velocity was Barrack, which was not an arcade clone, but was basically a reimagining of a Windows game, which was Jezball, a game where you had well balls bouncing around the screen and you had to partition them each into their own block. 
Ambrosio didn't only make games, of course. Uh, probably today they're most well-known for their Mac and iPad utilities. They make Snaps Pro, uh, which is a, a much more advanced way to take screenshots and screen recording. They have Wiretap, the Wiretap family of products uh, for capturing and processing audio on your Mac. There's also the Soundboard products for Mac and iPad. Uh, and like I'd said, uh, in the late 90s and 2000s and today, they moved away from the classic Mac OS. Uh, a couple of their games have been updated to support OS 10. I think all their utilities support OS 10. And then um, I think Escape Velocity Nova, the third one in the series, even works on Windows. Yeah, there is a Windows version of EV Nova and also an OS 10 version, which we'll mention in a little bit is very important if you want to get your hands on original escape velocity. So yeah, let's move on to escape velocity. This game was released on May 5th, 1996 after just 13 months of development. And if you were counting as we were rattling off those earlier games, it's Ambrosia's sixth game release, but really their first huge release. Like all of their games, Escape Velocity was shareware, and shareware in sort of the classic sense, where basically the full functionality of the entire game was unlocked. You would just get a little splash screen at the beginning reminding you that it was shareware, helpfully telling you how many hours you had wasted on the game without giving them any money, <laughs> yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera. But if you were not inclined to pay for the game, you could use it forever. The person behind Escape Velocity was almost entirely a one-man job. Uh, his name was Matt Birch. Uh, he did the, the programming, the engine for the game, the graphics, the sound, and the storylines, the, the mission objectives, the, the back history between the different races and governments. Um, he did it almost all himself. One thing that I, I like about this story is that Ambrosia in these days, maybe with Escape Velocity, was almost a, uh, a distributor of software for people who had uh, great ideas, great execution, but in the early days of Mac software, no real way to market and distribute them. Of course, these days we have the Mac App Store, the iOS App Store that provides you know a central place for marketing and distributing software. But back in the early days with, you know, uh, FTP sites running a premium on bandwidth and storage, unless you had a lot of capital to fund your own operation, it was a lot easier to uh, sell your, your work product through a big name. And Ambrosia was a big name. Absolutely. And one of the ways that I think I frequently got new Ambrosia titles, like you said, they were, you know, they were large games for the time, especially trying to get things over a dial-up connection. I did download some of them, but most of them I got on CD from one place or another, and probably with CDs that were either bundled with Mac Addict or Macworld magazines. And that was the thing. If you were just some indie developer in the mid-90s, you weren't going to just call up Macworld and say, hey, can you put my new game on the CD with your magazine and ship it out to tens of thousands of people probably laugh at you and say no. But if 
Ambrosia comes to them, they had a track record after these beautiful reimaginings of classic games. And so if they came to a major publisher who was going to actually be able to push the game around to people on CDs, then they would say, yeah, sure, you've got a new release. We'll, uh, you know, in a couple months when we've got a slot on the CD, we'll put it on there for you. So let's give all due credit to Matt, who did most of the work, even though Ambrosia is the reason we all know about it. Uh, Escape Velocity was released when Matt was a freshman in college. So he took a little over a year to make this game himself before he was uh, finished being a freshman in college. It's incredible. Yeah, I never thought about really who was behind Escape Velocity at the time that I was playing it when it first came out because, you know, I was kind of just a kid then too. Uh, But I didn't realize that it was such a, a labor of love by one person. I thought that, you know, it was an Ambrosia game and that this was a company and, you know, they had this big logo with Zeus throwing a lightning (laughs) bolt. They must be for serious. Um, But, you know, there was just one person and that now that I think about it, that he was not much older than us, is not much older than us. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, 96, 97, we were in middle school and he was a freshman in college. So five years ahead of us and really just pouring tons of effort into this. And it seems like it really was in the in the indie developer model. So an interesting article that we'll link up to uh, from the local newspaper where Birch was at college. I think he was at Kansas. Yeah. Mentioned, you know, just the successes that he had had with Escape Velocity and then later the sequel, Escape Velocity Override, and had said that in total, the two games had earned him about $250,000. And that's at a shareware fee of $20 for each game. But again, remembering that there was no real incentive to actually <laughs> actually purchase the game, some minor incentives. And of course, if you had the disposable income and realized kind of the situation that w- this was in, a lot like supporting indie developers today on iOS or on any platform, you know, at this point in my life, I say, yeah, I've got, you know, I would have 20 bucks to play- pay for this game. And, you know, e- in 2015, it's more like two bucks to pay for this iOS game. I just bought Alto's Adventure yesterday. Me too. Or a couple days ago. And it says in the description, it's a beautiful new iOS game. It says in the description, this is a premium game. No ads or in-app purchases. $2, please. It's like, whoa, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Escape Velocity was a premium game in 1996 and it cost $20. And I think that was a fair price in the market at that point. Of course, Ambrosia was setting that price, knowing what kind of conversion rate they got on shareware. But it's very interesting to see that, you know, that's that's a respectable haul for a couple years work by an indie developer in any year. Just to get some details about the later games out of the way, like Ed said, Matt Birch did the development for EV and EV Override. They both used the same engine. Uh, but EV Override had a vastly expanded universe. There were more races of aliens, more ships, a whole lot more missions and storyline. Escape Velocity Nova was an entirely new engine. Uh, the the graphics were completely different, uh, a lot better. Um, and even 
a wider expanded universe uh, with different storylines, different races, uh, even different methods of getting around the universe. And um, Nova is the one that has endured. It was the most modern release. And so, like we said earlier, it's available for OS X and Windows. And for people who do want to get back into the original Escape Velocity and Override, you can get the Nova engine and run it on a modern Mac and install some plugins to bring back the the graphics and the storylines of the first two original games, but played in the Nova engine. And Ambrosia Software does maintain an active Twitter presence, and I bet they're tired of hearing people ask if there's ever going to be a fourth installation in the Escape Velocity series. Uh, There are plenty of examples of them tweeting back that it's probably not going to happen. We should mention... If you'd like to play Escape Velocity some, either before you listen to the rest of this episode or after you've heard this episode and either have never played it and want to see what this is all about or want to go back for the nostalgia like we did, should mention just exactly what your options are there. So the the free option, but might be more painful, especially depending on your hardware, is to run the original Escape Velocity in an emulator. And so in emulators like Basilisk or Sheepshaver, it will definitely run. You can still download the original Classic Mac installer directly from the Ambrosia website, and we'll link to that. And if you have a setup like that, and if it doesn't just totally bog down the frame rate of your computer, you'll be fine that way. The other way, as we mentioned, is to get EV Nova and then run a plugin that replaces the EV Nova missions, ships, and storyline with the original EV. And one caveat here is that uh, later in Ambrosia's history, sort of towards the very end, they went away from the free shareware model and started cracking down more on making sure that games were registered. And one of the limitations for EV Nova is that it cannot run plugins unless it's registered. So if you have a registered copy of EV Nova hanging around, this is a great way to do it. But if you don't, or even if you bought EV Nova well in the past, the registration system that Ambrosia put in place had registration codes that expired after 30 days. So they're still valid, but you need a refreshed code. And I hope we don't just like bombard (laughs) the remaining Ambrosia support for this. But we actually contacted them uh, a couple days ago to get a code refreshed for EV Nova, and it worked. We got a response and a new code, and that enabled us to use these plugins. There's a really cool package that's available for distribution. Also, we'll link it up called the EV Trilogy, and it's just a separate application. So instead of opening EV Nova, you open the EV Trilogy application. It just shows a uh, launching screen with uh, with icons for each of the three games. You click it, and it automatically loads up the plugins and sends you on your way. Uh, very cool little package. The last thing I want to talk about before we get into actually the experience of playing Escape Velocity is that uh, the last shipping version, which, like I said, you still can download, was 1.0.5. And I wasn't able to figure out exactly when this happened, but sometime between 
the original 1.0 and the final 1.0.5, uh, Ambrosia updated the artwork. Um, and one way you can see a comparison for yourself uh, on your own machine is that the icon for the original Escape Velocity is of a ship in the game called a Hawk. And that icon maintained uh, the original artwork from the original release all throughout. But in the game, you'll notice that uh, if you actually encounter a hawk, it'll look subtly different. Um, they added a lot of gradients and textures to the ship renderings. And uh, so it's kind of like going from iOS 7 down to iOS 6. It started out with very flat, uh, bright colors on the ships and kind of moved it down to muddled textures and gradients. And it always bothered me a little bit. I think you're right that just the limitations of the 3D rendering at the beginning was that they didn't have any textures on these models. They were just flat surfaces. And, you know, they still looked good for 1996. It was like, whoa, these are futuristic 3D spaceships. Um, but then they added some more graphics, more graphical capabilities and textures in that update, and then uh, in the sequels. There was definitely richer graphics. So now let's dive into the gameplay of Eevee itself. You know, what kept us as kids playing this game for hours and hours and hours at a time? Because I know that I definitely lost days. Oh, me too. To escape velocity. Yeah. There's no question there. So the overall gameplay is that you are the pilot of a spaceship and you start in a lowly shuttlecraft on the planet Levo with 10,000 credits. And you have to go exploring in the galaxy by jumping between star systems using hyperspace jumps. And there is a very large world map for you to discover. You start with knowledge of just a few systems but there were 108 total systems in the original Escape Velocity. Some were empty, some had more than one planet, some had space stations, and they were controlled by different governments who you could get on the good or bad side of. Yeah, so at first, it's kind of a, a self-propelled game. You just want to make your pilot, uh, get your pilot in a better ship. Uh, maybe one with more guns or maybe one that can carry more cargo and you just want to improve yourself. But the more you play, the more you can become involved with one or more storylines. Like I said, maybe you want to align yourself with one of the governments and try and help them take down uh, the, the, the opposing government. Or maybe you want to become a mercenary or a pirate and achieve some kind of total galaxy domination. Uh, it's, it's, completely engrossing because you start out by getting into it uh, to totally fulfill your own destiny. And then usually you, you find allies and it pulls you in even deeper. And I played some escape velocity yesterday. I started with a brand new ship and played way too long. Again, I think I lost another eight hours of my life to escape velocity. <laughs> um, and I'll get into that a little bit more in a bit and i think you're right brian that i've sort of rediscovered that the game 
reveals itself in phases to you. And I think I could sort of identify four phases and I'll, I'll mention those. I unfortunately only got through the first two because <laughs> that's the thing is it's an actually an extremely deep game. One of the other things that's interesting about it is the interface and how you actually control this game and what you see most of the time. So the main view is your top-down flight view. So it is 2D. It's It reminds me a lot of the view in Maelstrom, and I think there must be some code that's shared between the two games. There's at least sprites that are shared between the two games. So you, your ship always stays dead center in the screen, and then the rest of the star field and planets and ships uh, move corresponding to it as you rocket around. And like Maelstrom, true to outer space, there are no breaks in outer space. <laughs> so if you want to stop or slow down, you have to turn around and thrust in the other direction. Um, which is, you know, a neat little, uh, neat little feature of the game. And as you go around, then you can interact with ships and planets, and you do this with a whole host of key commands. Um, pretty much every key on the keyboard is used for something. And I thought that this was going to be like a steep learning curve getting back into it. And I found that within like 15, 20 minutes of playing, it had all come back to me. Um, Although I didn't use some of the... Some of the keys are sort of saved for later phases of the game where you're not controlling just a tiny little cargo ship of your own, but you're sort of controlling a whole fleet mm -hmm. of your master ship and then fighters that carry out orders for you. And that sort of, like, involves the whole, like, right-hand side <laughs> of the keyboard yeah. that is not used much otherwise. So you've got your flight view, and then down the right-hand side is this fairly complex console that gives you lots of information about what's going on right now as you're flying. It shows radar with positions of planets and ships. It tells you what weapons you have activated, what your navigation system is set to, whether you're going to land on a planet or do a hyperspace jump. And importantly, it tells you what is in your cargo hold, whether that's just goods for trading or something that's specific to a mission that you're running. It also has uh, a readout of your current shield and armor readings. And if you have another ship in the current system selected, maybe to target your missiles towards or to begin an actual uh, communications with, it has a, a little 2D diagram of that ship uh, currently selected in your radar as well. It also shows that ship's alignment, like which government or faction they are aligned with. That's right. Which is very useful. And once you branch out into sort of less safe territory, every time that you jump into a new system, uh, the way you switch between those the other ships, even if you can't see them on your screen, if they're elsewhere in the system, you hit tab to cycle through the ships. And you get very used to jumping into a new system and going, tab, 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 tab. Are there any pirates here? Um, basically, do I need to run away? <laughs> yeah, exactly. One other thing that I should mention is uh, the way that you progress, the way that characters are saved, and the ways that you die in Escape Velocity, because you will die all the time. Yes. The game is cleverly designed in that at the outset, it puts you in a very safe portion of the galaxy where 
you know, you are not going to, it's not like some, uh, some MMO where you're going to just, you know, like step off, you know, for your first adventure in the insta killed. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's all AI characters and you're put in a place that's a very stable, no pirates. Um, it's, you know, under confederation control, one of the governments and you know, everything is sort of well protected. So you can make your first jumps, make your first trade missions without just getting destroyed. But once you get into the other parts of the galaxy, um, there are pirate ships, some of them weak, which you can sort of take out to uh, improve your standing with, you know, with the governments or also to increase your combat rating, which can be important for getting various missions. Uh, but that there are also some very strong pirate ships. And whether they appear or not, uh, if you're out in that fringe, dangerous area of the galaxy is totally random and so sometimes you just take off from a planet and there's a pirate corvette sitting on top of you and he hits you with 10 missiles and you're dead before you even move (laughs) (laughs) one final thing about the interface of escape velocity is that uh like we mentioned you can target these ships not only for uh firing weapons at them but also to talk to them you can also talk to the the ruling government of a planet or a space station um, and these conversations happen in little dialogue boxes that uh, pause the gameplay and uh, appear overlaid over the uh, the starfield. And there's there's so much depth to this game. Like it's incredible that in addition to programming it and designing the artwork, that uh, Matt wrote so much dialogue so you could talk to pirates and pirates will respond to you with a pretty broad variety of gruff phrases. Or you can talk to uh, stable governments and they'll have kind of pleasing things to say back to you. You can uh, you can become a bad guy yourself and make demands, like try to take over a planet and they'll say things back to you. Uh, and like Ed said, combat rating, if you try to take over a government or take over a planet very early on in the game, they, they mock you. They're like, yeah, go ahead and try. They don't even send out the ships to try to kill you. If if you're so weak that you're not even worth considering, they're like, oh, you're you're just some kid making a prank call to the spaceport. Nice going, kid. Yeah, there's so much dialogue, it's incredible. And the way that the dialogue is sort of procedurally and randomly given to you uh, makes the game feel fresh for a long time. Um, one of the things that I quickly stopped doing in my replay was we should mention what happens when you land on a planet. And to me, this is one of the reasons that made exploring in the game so exciting is that all of the planets are different. You don't just land on a planet and it pops up a dialogue that says, hi, you landed on Sirius Beta. It's another planet. (laughs) Um, Not every planet, but many of the planets have their own unique artwork that is about half of the dialogue that appears when you land on the planet and then the other half of the dialogue is the various interactions that you can do while you're on the planet. You can, uh, you can trade cargo, you can accept missions, you can go to the bar, which has some additional features in it, including gambling. So you can lose your money. Yeah. And although there was a bug in the original EV, if you held the space bar while you pushed the gamble button, you would always win for the first three times. Yeah, it was like a slot machine. Yeah, it, it does look like a slot machine. And in the Nova 
plugin version that I used, the gambling was broken. Like the the images didn't appear right and I always lost. <laughs> which was sad. There's another one called Watch Holovid, which this is th- this serves absolutely no purpose, I think. Um except that it shows random phrases that are like advertising messages or things that you would see on like cheesy TV referencing various sci-fi tropes. Yeah. And those number of phrases I I, I ran through those pretty quickly and Holovid became less useful. I think I think in the original and also in the later games sometimes there would be a, like an announcement there that the price of some commodity on some planet had wildly fluctuated. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Because if it wasn't enough that Escape Velocity has uh, space missions and dogfights and leveling up your ship, there's also an entire commodities market. If you want to make your money that way, you can buy low and sell high at planets all over the galaxy. Yeah, and people would try to like figure out what are the good trade runs. Uh, I've figured out one on this last playthrough by the time that i got up to my third ship which had a lot of cargo capacity uh if you go into the rebellion territory and go back and forth between what were the two systems it's the the main rebel system which has palshife as the planet and persephone which is one system over in persephone medical goods are always low and on palshife medical goods are always medium and the difference between them was 120 credits per unit. And I could load up 130 in my ship. And so it was like guaranteed 15,000 credits, not even running a mission, just two hyperspace jumps. But the fact of the matter is that once you get to that point, that is not exciting anymore. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, so I I can make a number go up by doing the same set of actions over and over again. That's not fun. The real fun is taking missions, even when they're just cargo delivery missions. At the outset of the game, um, it'll when you go into those missions, it'll say take, you know, take cargo to Stardock Alpha, and you're like, I don't know where that is, but if you open up the map, it shows you. And even if it's like outside of your knowledge of the map, it shows you not how to get to the system, but where it is. So you can just sort of head out in the general direction and hope to find your way there and unlock more of the map that way. Yeah, so let's talk about these missions for a while. Like Ed said, they start pretty routine. Deliver cargo here, sometimes uh, uh, ferry a, a passenger. The real missions that you want are the rush cargo missions. All the other missions pay 10,000 credits, and the rush missions pay 25,000. And rush is a sort of a relative term. Uh, there is a day and date uh, that's kept track of as part of your pilot information. And basically every action that you take, like landing on a planet or making a hyperspace jump takes, quote, one day. And the rush missions, I think you get like a month yeah, to deliver the cargo to the place. And that would be more than plenty of time to get basically across the entire map. Uh, but as you progress in the game, let's say your combat rating goes up or you've you've taken an action in a certain system that starts to align you with the government, different types of missions become available to you. Uh, usually you go to a missions computer, like a bulletin board to see what's available. But the real exciting missions are when you uh, click the button to go into the bar 
on a planet or in a space station. And before you can do anything in the bar, you get another dialogue box that's basically someone approaches you and tells you they have something that they need your help with. And these are always the fun missions. And usually, and I think actually in every case, the ones that will start a major storyline in the game. Right. And when I was playing, uh, I got a couple of these missions right off the bat. The ones that you tend to get at first are for these sort of like trade corporations. And they say, oh, we've got a special cargo mission for you. And at first it's just, you know, the same as any other cargo delivery. But then like the rival company gets on you or the pirates are after you. And so you either have to defeat them or at least just quickly run away. And uh, it makes the, the mission a bit more exciting. So I saw a couple of those really quickly in my playthrough yesterday. And I was really happy with the pace of the game as it was going. I thought, like, man, this is going along very quickly. So, um, you know, I was doing the rush delivery missions just to make money. I realized uh, after about an hour or two, I had saved up, I think it was about 80,000 credits, which was enough to upgrade my ship for the first time from the little shuttlecraft to a courier, which is not a powerful ship, but had more more space and uh, let me go more hyperspace jumps without landing. And so I thought things were proceeding along. I was getting these trade missions. Um, and then things started to slow down a bit. I was exploring, filling out the map. One of the things I forgot was that uh, if you go to outfit your ship on a planet, one of the things you can buy is a map, and it gives you a little bit more of the surrounding area. One of the other like, crucial things to buy is the auto fueler, <laughs> where usually if you land on a planet, there's a button that says refuel ship, and if you forget to do that, you will run out of fuel, and you will get stuck somewhere. <laughs> um, but it's just such a meaningless little click, and I think you save up like 5,000 credits or something and buy the auto fueler. And fuel is cheap. It's like 100 credits per per jump, um, which once you get into the game is like completely meaningless amount of money. So you just get one of those and saves you a couple clicks. Uh, also, you like we said, there are a lot of key commands, but uh, even navigating once you had landed, navigating through those screens, you could use the keyboard a lot. Um, you can just hit B to go to the bar, for example. Um, I think C goes to the commodities exchange. I don't know if there's a key for the mission computer, which is annoying because you always want to check it. But like I said, I was getting the muscle memory back and it was going very quickly, I thought. Uh, So we've talked about missions, upgrading your ship, but uh, the part that was always the most exciting and adrenaline-filled is when you have a ship that has weapons and you can start retaliating against pirates or deciding to become a mercenary or a pirate yourself. There are all kinds of weapons you can outfit your ship with. There are uh, different versions of laser guns, uh, you know, straight out of Star Wars. There are laser cannons, proton cannons, and neutron cannons in increasing uh, damage dealt out. And those are weapons that just fire straight out the front of your ship. Right. Or you can upgrade them to turrets, which can, once you have a a ship targeted in your nav system, a turret will fire these lasers in the direction of the ship, no matter which way your ship is facing. 
which is also a very good way to navigate during a battle. Yeah, yeah. I don't look at the at the radar map. I just keep firing and follow the bullets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and there are also projectile weapons like rockets, <laughs> missiles, <laughs> torpedoes. These are, it's well thought out. You have to buy the launcher for these uh, projectiles. And then you actually have to buy each weapon. So if you shoot 10 torpedoes at a Confederate cruiser uh, and that was all you had, you're out of luck. You're going to have to land and buy more torpedoes. And the, uh, like the launcher takes up physical space on your ship. Sometimes the projectiles, I think maybe at all times, the projectiles take up space on your ship. The Javelin rockets don't take up space. So they're also the cheapest and weakest of the guided. So it, you're, you're limited not only by money, but by the size of your ship. Uh, so it, it further incentivizes you to like keep doing the money-making missions. You can get a bigger ship, so you can carry more weapons, so you can do more, and, and it just keeps going. It's so great. And there's tons of strategy here. And even as you get, you know, really far advanced into the game, you might decide that you want to sort of totally overhaul your ship. And that can be like a pretty involved process. Most of the, not even every planet has a ship outfitter where you can buy equipment. Um, and then some of the ship outfitters have more things available for purchase than others. Things that are like, the game describes them as like quasi black market. And um, I think one of them is on Al-Qaedon in the rebel territory. And they have basically everything available for purchase. And that's where you could go totally crazy. Like you can convert cargo space into weapon space or vice versa. Or you can get like afterburners that let you spend hyperspace fuel on going faster in the actual flight. Um, and like you said, all of these have money cost, space cost, and like strategy cost of, you know, how am I actually going to be able to use these in combat? So, uh, like any sort of good, any sort of good game, whether it's a video game or board game or a card game that gives you lots of pieces that can be recombined in different ways with interesting results, like, all of those things are here in EV. Uh, so in addition to weapons, there are also uh, your ship's defenses. Uh, and primarily, there are two levels. You have shields and armor. Uh, different weapons will, you know, uh, affect different protection levels differently. Importantly, shields recharge and armor does not. But everything goes to 100% if you land on a planet. And shields are targeted first before armor. Um, and if your ship or any ship has both depleted, the ship becomes disabled. It doesn't explode. There's like a thin margin uh, between a disabled ship and one that's uh, destroyed. And when a ship is disabled, you can actually board it and steal their money, steal their cargo, uh, steal maybe even their fuel. Yep, I had to board a ship and uh, board a pirate ship that I had disabled and steal its fuel because I accidentally got stuck somewhere. I don't know how I managed to not land and refuel. I was in a system with no planets, so I just had to sit around and wait for a pirate to come by so I could kill him and take his fuel. <laughs> so we've got 
uh, our ships are ready. We've we've outfitted it with some weapons, and uh, we've bumped up our combat rating. We're beginning to be taken seriously in the galaxy. At this point, uh, especially if you go to, like Ed said, uh, Palshaif, the Rebels headquarter planet, or if you make your way deep into Confederate space, I think their their headquarters is on the the moon, maybe a moon of a planet. Luna. You can start getting and accepting missions that will align you with one of these governments. And sometimes it'll be a mission like land on uh, this Confederate aligned planet, steal some secrets and bring it back to rebel base. But eventually it will be like, you need to destroy this certain fleet of Confederate warships or rebel warships. Uh, And, uh, and a storyline develops. It's uh, I think it's, is it the climax of the rebel storyline where you realize that like, one of the reasons the Confederacy uh, was brought together was to defeat an entirely alien race. And then, uh, you know, they got too big for their britches. They were drunk with power. And so there's a rebel faction. And now that you're like deeply associated with the rebels, it's time to go take out the original alien menace that brought everything into play. Uh, I never got to that mission myself, but I have read about it. This was sort of the overall plotline of all of the escape velocity games is that there are all these factions and they're all concerned with each other but that there's extremely powerful aliens who are lurking somewhere else in the galaxy who really just want to kill them all and your job is not so much to take one side or the other but to you know the end game that the the best missions with the best ending is uh, defeating the external threat from the aliens. And, oh, these were the only ships in the game that actually had textures. That's right, yeah. Like red camo. Yeah, so they were clearly just kind of tweaked versions of some of the other like large ships in the game. And then they just totally replaced the textures with this sort of, like, yeah, staticky red and it's like, they're aliens, they're spooky. And uh, something that always made me laugh is if uh, when you have a, a ship in your sights, you know, like targeted, uh, it has that little blueprint readout of the ship and it'll have some fun things like uh, text pointing to the fins that'll say fins or pointing to the engine that'll say engine. But when you target an alien ship, the the blueprints that appear all just have question marks pointing to various parts of the ship because no one knows what the alien ships do. So I had said that there were sort of four phases that I had identified in the game and getting into the alien missions is sort of the conclusion of, I think, the third phase. So the first phase is just getting out there and exploring the galaxy, doing your trade runs. The second phase is uh, upping your combat rating and allying with one of the factions or not. You can just be a jerk and take out everybody and (laughs) make all of the governments upset at you. Um, Basically be a pirate. But that was sort of the phase that I got stuck on. Like I said, the first phase, upgrading your ship and figuring out where you are in the galaxy went really smoothly. And then um, I wanted to ally myself with the rebels this time that I was playing. And so started taking out pirates in rebel territory, started taking out a couple weak Confederate ships. 
but I couldn't get my combat rating in several hours above mostly harmless. <laughs> Yet another reference. Like I said, it's full of references, tons of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy references. So that one, there's a star system, Zaphod, and the planet in that system is Beeblebrox. Mm-hmm. Um, just tons of stuff there. Lots of Mystery Science Theater 3000 references. Um, funny stuff like, you know, this Ambrosia was a very like pro Mac company. Didn't release anything for Windows until very late in the game. Um, and there's one planet called Rupert that the description of the planet is Rupert is a small moon that is home to a colony of religious fanatics, followers of the Order of the Holy Mac. <laughs> And the notion is that the game takes place in the like 23rd century and that the bar there is decorated with a bunch of old Macs. <laughs> but so I was trying to up my combat rating and get the rebel missions. And I got the first one of the rebel storyline, which is just, you know, take a package from here to there. Like you have to take it into the Confederate space and deliver it to someone who's you know working as a spy there and report back. And I'm like, yes, we're finally underway. I got that one mission and then, you know, the mission ends and they say, we will definitely need your services in the future. And then I wandered around killing pirates and doing trade runs for like four more hours. Not a single mission went to every bar in all of the rebel space. And I was getting really frustrated. <laughs> um, so that second phase can be fairly long, like upping your combat rating. Then the third phase is the meat of the game. You get into one of the storylines. Each storyline has probably 10, 15, 20 missions to accomplish. And then at the end, you get the rights to buy that side's ships. You usually get a special weapon that's not available in some other ways. Um, I think one is the tractor beam. One is an offensive weapon. I forget which one. Um, and then... Uh, that leads into the sort of end game missions with the aliens. Once you beat the aliens, then what is there left to do? Well, you can continue upgrading your ship. Uh, and that's when you can start going around and, uh, just literally taking over the galaxy yourself by demanding tribute from planets. Um, so maybe you want to stay on the side that you were on and make everybody else pay you money and tribute, or maybe you just want to go, uh, total galactic overlord and get everybody um and i remember having a couple ships at that level i don't know if i had cheated at all or not um to become so powerful but every time that a day passes they actually pay you tribute and you would like jump into a new system and you earned a hundred thousand credits <laughs> just for existing and being awesome <laughs> Like you said, like there are ways that are kind of end game scenarios, but at no point does Escape Velocity actually say the game is over. You can theoretically play as long as you want. Exactly. You can you get heartily congratulated for finishing those last storyline missions, but the the rest of the galaxy is still open for you into the future. So if you've got some of the let's say the official part of the game out of the way, what else is there to keep you entertained? Well, like we've been saying, there are a lot of pop culture references in this game, and there are also a couple of fun Easter eggs to discover and then take advantage of in some cases. And inside jokes. So the number one inside joke in the game is Captain Hector. 
uh, Hector was a parrot that, like, in real life, that uh, that stayed at the Ambrosia Software headquarters. But in Escape Velocity, he's a uh, he's a kind of a, a gruff character who pilots a ship called the Rapier, and kind of enforces the thirty day shareware limitation. So he would come by during the first 30 days and just say silly things to you and remind you to pay for the game. And then after 30 days, he would actually start shooting you and trying to attack you. And you could not kill Captain Hector. He had like infinite shields or something. Exactly. So you could only run away. He wasn't particularly dangerous, though. He wasn't going to just stop you from playing the game. There were, you know, randomly spawned pirates who were more powerful and could kill you much quicker. I guess the the rapier that he piloted looked like the standard rapier, but it had like mad turning radius. Yeah. Um, so he would just sort of come and like flit around you like a bug, like back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Like, hey, hey, pay for this. Pay for this. <laughs> and there were other Ambrosia employees uh, who didn't have any kind of uh, aggressive stance against you, but you could hail them in their ships. And uh, I'm sure that if you held a conversation with them, the stuff you got back were probably direct quotes from those employees at some time working at the game. That was a little fun. Uh, another thing, we mentioned that Matt Birch made this game, uh, or at least released this game, while he was a freshman in college, and he went to Kansas. Uh, in some of the seedier systems... Uh, like Ed mentioned, you can get kind of black market items. One of these items is called a fake ID. And if you have a uh, a criminal record in some systems, I think it, it kind of resets that back to a, a neutral rating. But the icon for the fake ID has the Kansas Jayhawk mascot on it, which I think is a nice little nod to uh, what a fake ID meant to Matt as he was making the game. <laughs> There's there's just so much in here that makes a lot more sense thinking like what are all the sci-fi and pop culture references I could throw into a game as you know, the kind of references that I would have made early on in college. Um that doesn't cheapen them in any way. Like they're not like childish, but um there's just they're just laid on very heavily. That's part of what keeps the game fun. And some of the references I didn't get earlier on. Um, one of the biggest ones is an MST3K reference. And I'll be honest, I have never really gotten into MST3K. But the biggest Easter egg in the game is a huge MST3K reference. Uh, so the first thing you have to do is get uh, the MST3K bonus credit sequence. So to do that, you would option click the logo on the main screen and uh, this sort of drum roll would come in and play underneath uh, this scrolling text that I guess was just like a parody of, I don't know, MST3K theme or something, um, just rewritten with EV and Ambrosia references. Uh, the thing that was key to do here, though, was the Easter egg at the end if you held down uh, all of the modifier keys and F, you would get something very special. First of all, you would hear this clip, which is 
also an MST3K reference. They'll try to kill him with the forklift. And then your current pilot would actually get a new weapon called the forklift. <laughs> the forklift was the most powerful weapon in the game. It was a targeted homing weapon with none of those limitations of running out of torpedoes or anything. You could fire it as many times as you wanted. When you fired it, it made this like huge internal combustion engine sound. And then they had a really terrible turning radius, so they would just sort of like go around in squirrely patterns, trying to actually catch up with the ship that they were supposed to hit. But when they did, a couple shots with the forklift, and it was toast. Yeah, even the, the biggest ship in Escape Velocity was the Confederate Cruiser. And I think, yeah, three or four forklifts would take one of those down. And then you, you could shoot off like 20 of them because you knew that it would take a long time to get to them. And then when the ship was gone, they had sort of like lost their target, but they remembered the position of where the ship was at its last moment. And they would just go around in circles until they like timed out and exploded themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let, let's make it clear that these are rendered sprites of like a yellow forklift from a top down view, just kind of aimlessly wandering through space. Right. And they were about the same size as the original shuttlecraft. Like they were, they were huge and you could, you know, because it was an Easter egg, it wasn't like you had to buy it or earn it or even have a place for it in your ship. You could put the forklift in a shuttlecraft. And so you would be this tiny ship just suddenly spewing for <laughs> dozens and dozens of heavy equipment to ride through space as a forklift and, and kill other people. Uh, and one final Easter egg. Um, we're about to talk about the Escape Velocity plugin ecosystem, which relied heavily on ResEdit. And so naturally, uh, a big experience of playing Escape Velocity was poking around its files in ResEdit. And I'm pretty sure if you do it in the main application, it has very few uh, media resources because those are all in separate supplementary files. Yeah, they were all just sort of listed out. They were just right there in the folder. It was very apparent. It was like data, music, sounds. But there is one uh, image resource in the escape velocity application bundle that's uh like big bold italic text that just says what are you looking at and for a while you know i found this first just by poking around all the escape velocity stuff in res edit and i had no idea how to trigger it uh until one day i had balloon help on uh old time mac users will remember what balloon help is the finder help feature where you would point at things and it would tell you useful things about them how about in this case <laughs> in this case if you point at the escape velocity application it pops up a balloon with this image in it so it's <laughs> huge bold italic text not the like geneva nine point that all the rest of the balloons are and it just says what are you looking at <laughs> we've got a screenshot of this uh it cracks me up <laughs> But yeah, let's move on to the rest of what we used ResEdit for with Escape Velocity, and it's a highly extensible plugin ecosystem. Right. So you could go into these individual data files and muck with them directly, but that was not recommended. Um, you could, you know, sort of screw up the game that way. But you could create plugins easily that would overwrite some or all of the information there. So it would look in the the loaded plugin first for the data and uh, back it up with whatever was in the standard data library. 
the database, the data structure for all of the escape velocity resources is like very easy to learn and take advantage of. There are variables for everything. Um, variables for all of the ship attributes and statistics, variables for your pilot, variables for um, even laying out the map and saying what, what systems are where, all of those witty and uh, reference-laden descriptions. They're, they're all in there. And, you know, you could go through and just read those for entertainment, but it's, you know, it's more fun to actually go through the game itself. The way I cheated is uh, I would go against what I just said and modify some of the the game files. Like, so I could go in and locate all the specifics for the first mission in the Rebel storyline. And there are some values like what's the minimum combat rating you need to have for this mission to be available. There's even a, a probability thing. Like every time you land at a Rebel planet, there's a 5% chance that this comes up. And so I could just go in and modify those values. So it's like, there's a hundred percent chance this will happen uh, as soon as I'm at like the second lowest combat rating. So I could tweak that and start that storyline right away. I would have happily done that to get into that rebel storyline, except because I was playing through Nova because that seemed like the more stable situation for me, even though I crashed the game a couple times. Um, one of the things is these are all still in resource forks. And so if you're on OS 10, um, there's just no real way of editing those. And also I was, you know, once I had progressed along and wanted to up my combat rating, I was like, I'm going in for, it. I'm getting the forklift in EV Nova. They removed the forklift. No. <laughs> so, uh, I had to go around with my laser turrets and, uh, I'm still mostly harmless. So if you were interested in either modifying the game files or making a plugin of your own, there was a resource called the Escape Velocity Bible. And this outlined uh, every possible data structure uh, from the overview of like, this is what a mission looks like and how it's organized. This is how uh, ship sprites are laid out down to descriptions of each variable within them. Like this variable is the probability that you'll pick up a mission. This variable is uh, how much... A laser turret costs and this variable is how much space it takes up in your ship this is a lot like those kaleidoscope guides that i had to dig through although escape velocity was way more straightforward yeah it's so straightforward uh so i mentioned earlier that i made my own mastership uh and this was you know me in middle school with no knowledge of programming actually what i did is i took the sprites for the standard missile and uh, that were, those were the sprites for my ship. So it looked like I was a missile flying around. And I set all the variables to like insane things. Like my shield recharge rate was so high that I never took any damage. Like any damage I took was instantly recharged. Uh, I made the price of my ship something like negative 100 million credits. So I bought it and then I had $100 million. Um, I, had, I made it have like incredible fuel capacity. Uh, it came with like all the good weapons standard and had enough space to get more. And uh, and so once I had, had kind of hit that stall point in Ed's phase two, uh, this is where I transitioned into making my own super ship and editing the probability variables for certain missions. So I could just kind of fly through and go through various points of the game with relatively little difficulty. It seems like a total cheat. But it is. <laughs> it also sounds like... But it also sounds like your goal was to get through the story. Yeah, it was totally in service of the story. 
And Escape Velocity does tell a good story. It tells multiple stories, especially if you've played through once sort of on the game's prescribed timescale and say you stuck with the Rebels. And then you say, I want to see what the, you know, what the Confederation storyline was like. Well, yeah, like, you know, set yourself up with a, you know, pretty tricked out character from Go. And then you can sort of breeze through the Confederation storyline without pouring another, I don't know, 40, 60 hours into the game. And there are still, if you play Escape Velocity today, you can still go to Ambrosia's website and they maintain a, a file board of user-submitted plugins. There were a lot. There are so many. And a lot of them are um, storylines. Uh, it's not even like original graphics or uh, sounds or anything, or even uh, items. But you could, there are like really creative storylines that will extend the the life of the game. It's replay value. Which is so cool. Like beyond just the strategy here, they had basically set up like an interactive fiction authoring system like this is why the game just went so deep and you could you could never run out of stuff to do in the original escape velocity let alone um ev override and uh ev nova i mean i guess ev override is basically because it runs on the same engine it's basically just a first party authorized massive expansion to the game um that Anyone could have done, but they poured much more time and effort into. Uh, the most popular of all of the plugins, so there were many cheap plugins, but the, the most popular, even more popular than the cheap plugins, was the not-at-all-licensed Star Wars mod, <laughs> which um, added sprites for various Star Wars ships like Millennium Falcon, Star Destroyer, X-Wing, and you could fly around as those ships doing the same sort of missions that were already present in uh, original EV or whatever other plugins you had installed. Plugins were not, it wasn't like you just got one plugin. As long as there wasn't some like terrible conflict, you could run multiple plugins at once. There were the three Escape Velocity games, the entire plugin ecosystem, but it doesn't stop there. There are also uh, other software titles and in real life games that were inspired by the Escape Velocity series. Yeah, every few years I see something that makes me think, I bet whoever made this played EV because it's just it's just right there. Like you can see the influence um that this series had. Uh one of the first things that you mentioned, Brian, was a uh a real world physical game was was this officially licensed? It must have been. It must have been because it uses their artwork in uh, titles. So it's the Escape Velocity Nova, the card game, <laughs> which we found on BoardGameGeek.com. It it doesn't seem to be as popular as the video games, does it? No, it's a it's got a user rating of four out of ten, and I went through some of the comments, and it sounds like they took what Ed called phase two and made that into the bulk of a card game you play with your friends where you do like routine missions and try and level up your ship. And then it sounds like there's a frenzy of activity in the final couple rounds where you blow, try to blow everybody else up Ugh. with your, your ships that you've beefed up in the bulk of the game. That doesn't sound fun. No. I've played 
other sort of shipbuilding board and card games. Um, one that I played at a friend's house a while back, also on Board Game Geek, is called Galaxy Trucker, which sounds totally in the same vein as you know Eevee. It's it's actually even maybe a little bit more wacky, where um, you get this ship and instead of like strategically upgrading the ship you keep getting pieces like assigned to you and you have to fill in the ship and um like make it so that it still functions and like the air still works and you can transport cargo and everything basically without it just falling apart and you dying (laughs) (laughs) that game has 7.5 out of 10 on board game geek and uh is really complex but kind of fun and ed and i were talking before we started recording that uh it's clear that there is still demand for Escape Velocity, and now uh, the dominant Apple platform is, of course, iOS. And as we've been talking, you probably get a sense that Escape Velocity is such a deep game with so many different kinds of interactions that uh, it may be difficult to replicate the full experience of something that can use every key on a keyboard to a multi-touch screen. But that doesn't mean people haven't tried. It would be very hard um to get Eevee itself onto a touch interface. So you use arrows for navigation. You're constantly hitting tab to see things that are off screen, um, you know, to cycle through the ships and get information about them. So that's a tough interaction. You know, often on a touch screen, you can replace something. Oh, I want information about it. Actually tap the thing. But if you can't see it, how are you possibly going to do that? Um, That's a tough one. Um, and then all of the weapon switching and targeting and uh, communicating with a planet. Like, you can hit L for land on a planet. Um, you have to hail the planet and get permission and then land again once you've gotten there and slowed down enough. Um, you can hit L as soon as you enter a system. You're, like, way far away. So you get the first one out of the way. Then you come in, you come in for a landing and hit L again. Um, you know, these are mechanics that would have to be, like, totally rethought. I think that you could do a decent job on an iPad size screen with a lot of room for a, a console and a map and like and, and room to take actions. Right. And so that whole console down the right hand side of the flight screen, I think you could reimagine that a lot with uh, tap and swipe gestures. So like instead of tab to cycle through the ships that then appear on your console, swipe through the ships on your console like that would work, but that would never shrink down to an iPhone size screen, not even a six plus size screen. Uh, The tap targets would just be too tiny. But there have been games that have been inspired by it. Uh, We were looking into this before the show. There's one game called Warpgate that was released for iOS and was released by Freeverse Software, another venerable Mac publisher. You probably know them for the various Burning Monkey games, like Burning Monkey Solitaire, Burning Monkey Puzzle Lab, um, and... some silly utilities. They're, uh, they're singing happy face. Jared, the butcher of song. Yep. <laughs> Classic. Um, we found out, though, I tried to actually reinstall Warpgate on my iPhone. I couldn't find it. Um, so Freeverse got bought out by NGMoco. And usually pretty much anything that you buy on the iOS app store sort of stays there in perpetuity. Even the apps that are like... Um, taken down by Apple because they like flagrantly disobey various app store regulations. Like if you bought it, if you paid money for it, um, it still lives on a server 
with Apple somewhere. Um, but I don't know how they negotiated this, but all of the Freeverse games were taken down. Out of everywhere. Like, out of everywhere, not re-downloadable. I had the IPA file on my computer, though, and uh, got Warpgate back on my uh, iPhone. I'm going to have to start over as a fresh pilot again, though. <laughs> when I started playing this game, I thought, oh, wow, it's here. This is Escape Velocity for iOS. Um, exact same mechanic, jump from system to system, huge world map, probably about the same complexity and number of factions as like EV Override. There are different aliens that you have to find out information about, infiltrate, kill them. Um, and the flight system was actually really cool. It was like the top-down view, except tilted so that it was in 3D. And you just sort of, you know, tapped to navigate. Tap, go here, tap, go there, tap, go over to the planet and land. And many of the same style features as EV. Right down to having, like, a news ticker with randomized, goofy phrases with references. And I was a long way into the game. Like, I had put, I'd put dozens of hours into the game before I first saw this on... Uh, the news ticker, and I went, aha, this clinches it. It's definitely an EV homage. Uh, in the news ticker, it says, Pirate Captain Hector will stand trial for crimes against humanity slash alienity. <laughs> and it's right there in the game. So Warpgate uh, was a really fun continuation of the EV gameplay. Uh, the only thing that was was really didn't stand up. And this goes to what we were just talking about. Like, how do you get this on a small touch screen? Was the combat was separated from the flight, which I think the, the like navigation and combat all in one in escape velocity was one of its like big plus features. Yeah. Agreed. And so it was separated and it was supposed to have some sort of like accelerometer controls. It was how you like, maneuvered and dodged with your ship and like they just completely didn't work at all so you would you would have these missions you know go kill the pirate ship go kill the rebel guy and you would drop into this combat mode and literally all you could do was shake your iphone around like a crazy person and hit the fire button which was a touch button over and over again and hope that you won <laughs> um but despite that, I kept playing it because it had that like exploration and trading and mission-based system. Um, unfortunately, it's not available any longer. Another game that was in a similar vein, uh, which is still available, I believe, is called Out There, which is also available for iOS. I recommend also playing it on iPad. Again, touch targets are a little bit small on the iPhone. It would be fine on a 6 Plus. Um, this is more of like a survival game. Have you ever played this, Brian? I have not played this one, no. Okay, so you start as a, like, the one human, you've gone through a wormhole and you're lost. And you need to get back to civilization. And it's more of, like, a strategy game, and it's brutal. So you have, like, oxygen in your ship, hyperspace jump fuel, and... Um, then all these resources that you can keep in your ship. 
And if you run out of anything, you get stranded and the game's over. Uh huh. Um, and you're just trying to jump from system to system to system. One of the mechanics that it has that's interesting is that uh, the jumps are different based on distance, how much fuel they take up. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the other mechanics that is similar to EV is that you can board and commandeer derelict ships. There's no combat, but sometimes you run across a derelict ship. And your ship at the outset is like very weak and piddly. And so basically your only way to succeed in the game is to get one of these derelict alien ships and continue on with it. Hmm. I've never gotten really far in the game. There are a couple of interesting like YouTube playthroughs if you want to see sort of how the game progresses. Um, I Like I said, it's brutal. Like It's right on the line of like strategy and chance where you think you've found the winning strategy and then like it still just like screws you over and you're dead and you have to start over. <laughs> um there are other things that are sort of more loosely in loosely not even inspired by EV but are in the same genre. I remember being very excited when Eve Online came out, although I never played it. Um it's a huge system hopping MMORPG it's set in space. Um, some of these same sort of strategy things do trading, do missions, build up your ship's defenses and combat ability. Um, it's got like tens of thousands of systems now. And I didn't know that it was like still going strong, but I found an article that said that in 2013, it hit over half a million subscribers. Oh, wow. Um, so it is huge. And there is still definitely a market for this sort of like space opera system hopping adventure sci-fi game but uh at least to us none as beloved complete uh never ending as escape velocity absolutely we mentioned all the like artwork for the planets in the original escape velocity and i swear looking at these I'm pretty confident that they were made in KPT Bryce. <laughs> do, do you remember that? Yeah, another throwback. So it was this really revolutionary uh, 3D rendering software that I think came out for the Mac first. And its big thing was that it could create, quote, realistic looking um, like terrain, like rocks and water. And... The funny thing is that the water is just a bunch of ripples. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, of course, all of these are, you know, 256 color palette uh, images. And, you know, they look, they look crude and primitive today. But, you know, each of, one of them was supposed to be sort of symbolic and, uh, and just be a, a brief representation of the planet and evoke some emotion. Some of the planets, there was also little sound effects that would get played, like little tripping birds or something. And they totally did their job. Uh, like we said, that Evie was mostly about telling a deep, rich story and getting you to do some fascinating strategic things along the way. And really what it looked like was just bonus and it did look great for its time even if it looks 
I won't even say old. I'll say it looks classic today. Yeah. And think about think about the hardware we were playing this game on in 1996. Uh, for the amount of like pre-rendered sprites and in certain systems, the amount of uh, actively animated sprites that were on the screen at once. I don't ever remember being frustrated with the game stuttering or uh, lagging. You could if you got into like a really heavy combat scenario. If you had like two fleets of ships going at each other with like maybe 10 or 15 ships on the screen and lots of guided weapons going everywhere, you would drop frame rate. But like it held tough. And I'm shocked too because I was playing in Nova um, and there's a there's a frame rate counter um, and it was going 50 frames a second, which was nice and smooth. But it was just completely maxing out one of the cores on my 2009 MacBook Pro. And it's like, I know I played this game 10 years before this. How did it even work? Right? But it did. So that wraps up our look back at one of our favorite games, Escape Velocity. Uh, Thank you for coming with us on this journey through space inhabited by pirates and warring governments. If you want to share any stories about uh, Escape Velocity or other Ambrosia games even, uh, we know that there's a lot of more content to discover and talk about. Uh, You can always reach us through the contact form on our website, simplebeep.com, or on Twitter. We are at simple underscore beep. We're definitely going to return to some of the Ambrosia games, especially the games that followed yeah escape velocity like we said they were you know sort of a a a cloning shop up until ev and then when ev and ev override took off they came into their own they really started putting lots of development and art into many more games that they released there's probably at least in my memory another half dozen games uh that were uh total originals from Ambrosia. So if there's any of them that you want to have us talk about or stories of Ambrosia games or other classic Mac games uh, that you'd like to hear more about, please let us know and uh, we'll fire up the emulators again and uh, get them working. Uh, Just to mention again, if you check out the show notes for this episode, we do have the links and instructions so that you can get Escape Velocity up and running for yourself to uh, go have your own galactic adventure. Uh, you can either do it with EV Nova on OS X, but remembering that uh, you do have to have a registered version of that. I think Ambrosia will still happily take your money. So I'm sure they you will. Know, you know, they, they've got people who are maintaining that part of their website and the serial number system. So you know, if you feel like that's the, the right thing to do, go give it a shot, or you can always load it up in an emulator and have Captain Hector come and pester you a little bit more. <laughs> Uh, so like we said, uh, feel free to share any feedback of this stuff with us. We are also still very interested if you want to be a guest on this show and talk to us about maybe your favorite Ambrosia or other classic Mac game or other memories of your own interacting with the early days of the Macintosh ecosystem. Yeah, just think what Matt Birch did, you know, creating this on an early Mac. You know, we'd love to hear what awesome things you created on maybe your first Mac or another early Mac. So we've given you our uh, podcast contact information. You can also contact us directly on Twitter. I'm at Bisuto, B-S-U-T-O. 
I'm E. Corny, E-C-O-R-M-A-N-Y. As always, show notes are up on the website, either on the main page or at simplebeep.com slash episodes. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Don't get killed by pirates. <laughs>